Academy Award nominee for Best Visual Effects, Godzilla Minus One is an epic, entertaining blockbuster with a tender love story at its core, says the Washington Post. Winner of eight International Best Visual Effects Awards and nominated for 12 Japan Academy Film Prizes, Godzilla Minus One is the third highest-grossing foreign-language film in the United States of all time. Certified fresh at 98% on Rotten Tomatoes, Forbes says Godzilla Minus One is one of 2023's greatest films. Academy Award nominee, Best Visual Effects, Godzilla Minus One from Toho International. Welcome back to the Outside Scoop, the box office podcast. This is episode one, two, three, four. So we are almost a month into this wacky experiment. We have Jeremy Fooster, who is MIA. He'll be back next week. I'm Ryan Scott. I write for SlashFilm.com. And I'm Lisa Lehman. She, her, write for Collider. Hey, yo. Okay. This was another slow weekend. You could say it was the calm before the sandstorm. Or you don't have to because that's stupid. Anyway, Bob Marley repeated again with 13.5 million, dropping 53%. That's a drop closer to the Serena Compton 56% drop than the over under 40 drops for Elvis and Bohemian Rhapsody in their day. The film has made 71 million domestic, 121 worldwide on a 70 budget. It looks to be, including the territories that it has yet to open in, probably going to end up over under 200 million worldwide, which I would say is good enough. It's holding pretty well. This one might actually do a little better. I wouldn't be surprised if it gets closer to 250 than 200 maybe in the end. Uh, and that's optimistic if you could get to, on a $70 million budget, if you get to 20, 230, that's pretty good. That's worth the investment. Yeah, um, you can get to 210 and say, hey, we tripled our budget. Nobody can complain. No, that, that's, that's the thing, right? If you can triple your budget generally, regardless of the budget level, that's right. That's in the territory where you can start to justify the expense, yeah. but especially on a smaller movie like this, where premium VOD is what it is. You don't have to make up $200 million. You're going to make up 70. Those $20 rentals are going to go a lot further. We're going to see more of this. I do wonder to what extent the VOD marketplace as well as whatever quote-unquote value the streaming era is bringing to these theatrical releases, are we approaching a time when two double slash 2.5 the budget is closer to overall eventual profitability as it was in the 90s and 2000s when marketing was cheaper and all that jazz? It's possible, especially if we get to a place where you can piecemeal this stuff, where for the movies that people do want a physical release for, you get them. I know the market's declining, but money's money. I know. Disney made money on that Prey 4K release. They didn't make a fortune on it, but they made money on it. So if you maximize the VOD windows, if you're Sony and you have a streaming output deal with Netflix, you can capitalize on all these windows. We're maybe going to get closer to that. The problem, what we don't have, and you have complained about this a lot, is we don't have any transparency. We have no idea. We can look at the charts. Every once in a while, Fandango, Voodoo will release charts, but we don't really know what that means. Maybe the company's keeping about 80% of that revenue. But that's about all we know. We're getting closer to that, Scott. That would be yeah, like, that would be weirdly optimistic. It goes to my eye in the sky scenario where PVOD is lucrative enough that the studio programmer on a theatrical level is now safer than it's been since the mid 2010s when I was screaming that the sky is falling because it was. The thing that interests me in its box office retention is that barring 
a massive 60% plunge next weekend with Dune. This should get to 100 mil domestic. Yes. Uh, quite easily. I'd say it's probably going to hit 115 to 120 mil. And that's a surprisingly rare box office threshold for music biopics to hit. Rocketman just missed it. Walk the Line crossed it. Compton, Bohemian, Elvis, and 8 Mile did it. I can't think of any others off the top of my head. And considering how many of these we've gotten, that's actually a very exclusive club. It's not a lot. And Bob Barley's done. That's a very big achievement already for it. And that would probably suggest why Sony decided to announce this week those four Beatles movies. And now we've got Michael Jackson and the Robbie Williams thing coming out in the next year and Amy Winehouse in May. The, this is a big business. It's been a big business since Bohemian Rhapsody. But Bob Marley especially feels it doesn't just have to be Elvis and it doesn't just have to be Queen. We can make a lot of money on these. Music was my first love. I'm staring at a stack of CDs right now as I record this. I, But from a pure album sales standpoint, from a pure endurance and pop culture standpoint, I would have personally thought that Whitney Houston biopic stood just as good of a chance at doing Bob Marley numbers, if not maybe better. To me, maybe there was a better chance. But that, was, that could have also been release timing and all that. The weirdest thing is that Sony's actually decent with marketing their adult-driven movies, like The Woman King and A Man Called Otter. Mm-hmm. So it yeah. makes it strange. That I want to dance with somebody on paper as a Christmas Day event movie. Perfect Avatar 2 counter programming. So they just called it Whitney? As yeah, they might just... I want to dance with somebody, which is a mouthful. And then they eventually started titling it unofficially. Whitney Houston called it, I want to dance with somebody. Yeah. I, I yeah. want to dance with somebody sounds like a jukebox musical involving yes. Whitney Houston. It sounds like a romance. It probably would be pretty commercial. Yeah, that's a bit across I the universe, but more, a more mainstream across the universe. That makes um, me wonder what they're going to do with those Beatles movies. Is it going to be like the Beatles, Ringo, the Beatles, Paul, or is it just going to be Paul, Ringo, John? Like, I have no idea. Ring, Ringo, a Beatles story. I, as much as I don't want to play into certain cultural stereotypes, I do want to see intermingled in all four of those movies as Yoko Ono is slowly collecting Infinity Stones. Oh, I like that. Do I think they're all going to be particularly successful? I don't know, but... At the very least, theaters will be getting at least four potentially solid musical biopics from Sony and Apple in the, what was it, 2026, 2027? 2027. Assuming right, civilization yeah. survives that long. If you look at that as a $200 million investment, if Sam Mendes can do 50 apiece, they may not all hit it out of the park, but that overall, you could see where the Beatles being the Beatles, I can see that you recouping that, but that relies on... You can't have those things cost 100 apiece. These are artistic choices, but I assume even if you're doing all four Beatles doing their own movie, there has to be some kind of chronological order to this. So it has to lead up to something so that the final film has some kind of climax. I am not a Beatles super nerd, so it's possible that the historical solution is escaping me. My guess is that it's going to be very perspective driven. I was a relatively big Beatles guy for a while, so Sam is going to have a take on it and he's going to have to commit to that take. And what you're probably going to see is the same exact timeline, but from four different vantage points. And it'll be maybe like Clue where everyone, by the time you watch all four movies, it'll be different. Maybe it concludes with the rooftop performance. The rooftop is, that's your portals moment, because that's what they're doing. Yeah. And the Beatles are one of the only bands where you can take all four members and... George Harrison's might arguably be the most interesting of the four, right? Just as a side note about Barley, something that fascinates me too is uh, about the music biopic becoming our superhero movie. Kind of the superhero movie for like a, adults, quote unquote, is 20th Century Fox will not be reaping the rewards of these. 20th Century Fox was the studio that 
was behind Bohemian Rhapsody, along with GK, GK Films uh, and a couple of other outfits. But Fox was the one that primarily financed it and pushed it. They will not be reaping the awards. They have not made any more music biopics because they're now just a Hulu label, basically. Oh, yeah. I do find that a quasi-tragic thing. Every other studio will be re- It's not Fox should be the only one making these. Paramount, Sony, MGM, and Universal. Lionsgate's doing the Michael Jackson thing. That's the smartest thing Lionsgate's done in yeah. a minute. And, and I, cause yeah. I get mad at Lionsgate because... They do mid-budget better than anybody else, yet every single time they try to do a big thing is where they lose a fortune. Yeah. And they just need to straight up stop this Michael Jackson thing, depending on... It's probably going to be lower level expensive, potentially, and this could be the perfect thing for them. We need Lionsgate to survive. After the year they had last year, I'm more optimistic than I otherwise would have been because they dropped out four of their big quote-unquote franchises, and three of them were good and successful. <laughs> yeah, the problem is that fourth one, I don't even know how much money they lost. They on... did Expendables, you mean? They oh, didn't yeah. lose much. They knew what they were going to no. do. Millennium that was basically Millennium them. saying, who wants it? And Lionsgate's, here's 20 bucks. Here we'll take it. There's a lot that, of movies that Lionsgate, you know, I tend to make fun of them about certain releasing Rock Dog. This movie is ridiculous. And the answer was always building their library. And not to skip ahead, but Ordinary Angels is not a hit. But in terms of what they're on the hook for, it's probably going to make them a couple bucks at the end. Ordinary Angels, it's, it's 6.5 to start. It's not great. No. But this is one of those ones that's going to hang around. It's going to make a lot more than people think. It's the best faith-based drama since Heaven is for Real in early 2014, which is when we first started. They started to become somewhat mainstream where you had sure. Sony or Lionsgate putting out these aspirational VeggieTale-style Christian film because <laughs> just because the morality is don't be a dick sure. and you know they're not they're not god's not dead or that or uh, october's baby or whatever they don't have persecution complexes they are welcoming and inviting pictures that i said this a decade ago and it's still the case where basically the closest thing we've gotten to star-driven studio programmers outside of the oscar season on a regular basis which is why you tend to see a lot of weirdly high-profile actors headlining them because where else are they going to Hillary Swank doesn't want to be in a Marvel movie. Ordinary Angels flopping on opening weekend. I actually don't think it's going to hold very well because there's a lot of competition for families coming up in the next few weeks. The people who've seen this, who wanted to see it, have seen it. Ordinary Angels does unfortunately suggest that if you want to make a really big hit in the faith-based movie market, not every time, but you need two things. You need a really big musician, like I can only imagine that people know, so keep an eye on that one that's dropping at the end of April. Something like Sun that. Heroes? I think that's what it is. It's some like family band thing. I'm sure that'll be huge. But the other thing is you need a persecution complex thing. You need the dark, like, Sound of Freedom, God's Not Dead thing of like... That's the th- COVID, I would have argued the opposite. God's Not Dead was this weird exception. It comes out to $60 million in early 2014. But then the faith-based movies that would break out in the mid-2000s, 2010s, were stuff like The Shack. I could only imagine a war room. They were not brimstone and fire pictures. There were a couple exceptions. Like I, I think called October's baby, but it was an abortion picture. She did about 20 million bucks all told. That was, was that the one exception. Jamie Kennedy was in? No, that that's Roe v. Wade. That's right. Which that's again, that's right. one that as far, unless I missed it, made 10 bucks. Yeah, and, it went to PVOD though in yeah, COVID. Prior to COVID, the op- I would argue the opposite of the truth. Films mm-hmm. like Breakthrough that were from major studios like Lionsgate, Sony. Breakthrough was Fox, which was a little unusual, but whatever. Ironically, that was Disney's only Fox hit in 2019. But 
Is that still the case in post-COVID? I don't know. You might be right going forward. And obviously, this is a much lower opening. The, but even like Jesus Revolution, which is a shiny, happy, Jesus is cool kind of movie. That one did 50 million last year. Yeah, it did like 50 I, mil. I didn't see Jesus Revolution. But the trailers for it do still advertise like, this is notable conservative, Paul, not politician, actor, Kelsey Grammer, showing the kids with the long hair and the weird politics. This is what the real truth is or whatever. It's still about adults taking in the subversive adults and making them good members of society. There's still a lot that does resonate with some, let's be gentle and say, maybe more abrasive members of the movie going public. That are the viewers that would watch Ordinary Angel, which is very much about income inequality and the horrors of a privatized healthcare system, but vote against the very politicians that might try to fix it. Yeah, you're so close. You're so close to realizing something. But no, in all seriousness, especially now that we're going to get a lot more of these, we've got the Kingdom Come outfit has three Lion King movies this year, including some Judy Greer thing in November with everyone's favorite comic, Pete Holmes. We all love Pete Holmes. Everyone knows who Pete Holmes is. I know No one does. But since we have so many of them in the marketplace, a lot more of the fear-mongering stuff that drove the box office of Sound of Freedom or Guys Not Dead are probably going to become more ubiquitous just as a way of standing out in the marketplace. I am inclined to think that Sound of Freedom will be as much of a fluke as was God's Not Dead in 2014. Your word God's Not Dead got two sequels and none of them did particularly well. Yeah, or, Sound of Freedom. Or shit. Yeah, there's a, yeah, I saw a box set at Walmart the other day. There's, but, before uh, but, time, uh, watch your ass. <laughs> but uh, no, Sound of Freedom was an absolute fluke. And I'm talking the fluke that we will look back on probably forever. It, it was a... Well, that was the weird, I mean, because even people, I did a big investigative piece about it because everyone was, it's all fake. So I went, I literally went to theaters and those theaters were full. People were going. I'm not, and I'm not saying they were full. I even got in touch with the people behind it because I was, the amount of tickets you said you've sold and the amount of money you said you raised a lot of excess money. And they're like, yeah, it was one of those things where people were literally free movie. But that was less the thing. It was a practical example of what, frankly, we tend to see a lot on our side of the political aisle where you have people that view the entertainment they consume as an act of political activism. And in this case, they were seeing the movie as a symbolic way of doing something about the problem of child trafficking. You could get the box office of Sound of Freedom by doing that concept with right-wing people. I don't think that's possible ever with the opposite side, just because there's so many variations. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Ordinary Angels might be emblematic of some... But flopping might be emblematic of some troubling trends. Lionsgate hasn't said what the budget is yet. Let's say it was 15 mil. Maybe it's even less. It's not going to do much overseas, but it's going to be a bigger, it'll be a big VOD movie and truthfully, probably not a bad DVD movie. At the end of the day, it'll sell a lot of end caps at Walmart. Lionsgate is very good at making money on films that look on paper like flops. And I don't mean that in a nefarious way. It just, they are very careful in terms of they know what they have to make and what they can afford to spend. And if it overperforms, awesome. And they are the studio along with Universal that I would argue has benefited most from the PVOD revenue stream. That in Lionsgate. Make money on stuff like Sizu, which made 10 bucks in theaters. They've also done a tremendous job. If you look at their earnings reports as of late, their video, their library that you talked yeah. about is what makes them the most money now. They have this gigantic library of stuff that appeals to literally everyone and they don't have their own dedicated streaming service. So they can sell tons of DVDs and end caps. Yeah. 
Walmart and they can sell everything on VOD. They can license to streamers and they're, so their library makes them a fortune now. The winners of the streaming uh, every war single are quarter. the ones that didn't have streaming platforms. Yeah, they're the well, ones selling the guns. The war when you can sell the guns. Who, who saw yeah. that coming? Everyone in this chat, I presume. Probably all of us. <laughs> Probably all of us. I don't. I did see everyone enters this. Not everyone's going to win. Everyone's talking about stuff in Peacock in 2026. And I'm like, you sure? Daz love talking about Mac, the Harry Potter show on Max in 2026 sounded awful optimistic to me. I don't know if Max, as we know it, is going to be around. Max, as we know it. I'd say Max as we know it, but there's going to be an outlet that has Warner Brothers Library and Rice oh, that will yeah. be happy to put out oh, that Harry Potter show. Oh, absolutely. It'll but get Max. made. We'll all watch the first three episodes of Curiosity. And by the end of the season, no one will give a shit. Speak for yourself. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to speak for yourself. I'm not even watching three episodes. I don't care. <laughs> Harry Potter is the one thing that I never... How about I this? Tried... If you go on BitTorrent, I won't judge you. <laughs> I'm going to watch every episode. I <laughs> love J.K. Rowling so much. And now I'm going to... You do it so I don't have to. You can be a, my recapper. <laughs> gonna... By the time the show comes out, this site will be so successful... That yeah. I can hire you to recap the fucking show on an episode-by-episode basis. Actually, I mean, this was a joke, but no, I would actually die to what as a trans woman to recap the show and every week just, it sucks. Anyway, here's a bunch of trans activists you should go <laughs> find all the anti-Semitic Easter eggs. How many racist character names can you find in this episode? There's more than you think. Should we talk about the yeah. best per theater average of the weekend for a wide it, release? Have it? <laughs> Demon Slayer. Oh, the, shit, yeah. The 10% uh, uh, come out yet, I don't think. But that one did. Uh, it was another one of those weird, we giving you the third season finale, which you've already seen on television, but we're also giving you the fourth season premiere, which you have not seen on television. And it made about $11.5 million from a 5.5 opening day. That's actually a little bit more than the 10 and change that the previous Swordsmith Village, whatever, mm -hmm. did. Amusingly, that would open in early March of last year on the same weekend as uh, Creed 3. So you yep. had an anime film and an anime film opening together. Yeah, yeah it's going to top out at 18, and it's done about 41 worldwide. My only deep thought is that three years ago, Demon Slayer, the movie, opened with $21 million, and along with Mortal Kombat, helped keep movie theaters alive a little bit longer. And three years later, Demon Slayer is still helping to keep movie theaters alive and dead it are still doing their part to keep movie theaters alive. I'm not an anime guy, but I will say we've seen over the last three years now, this is not a one-off flu. It, these movies will come out. They will make their money on opening weekend. North America will goose those overall box office numbers. So Crunchyroll or whoever else is distributing is going to be happy to take those North American rights now. And this is going to be a thing by the end of the year. If you look at, if you add up all of the anime North American box office, it's going to matter now. It would have yeah. not mattered before, and it's going to matter now. And that's cool. Stuff like that's great. I wrote about this phenomenon for Collider, actually, this week. You can read that now on the my Collider page. But I was looking at the history of the box office stuff. I'm literally recording a podcast. <laughs> I don't have time to read your articles. But in all seriousness, I was looking at that stuff, and it's fascinating to see that Paprika in 2006 barely made away a couple hundred thousand. It didn't even yeah. reach 100 theaters. Howell's movie Castle didn't play in more than 210 locations, even after Spirited Away mm -hmm. won the Oscar and made 10 million domestic, which is outstanding at that point. For so many years, the big problem for anime films is they've been stuck in a self-fulfilling prophecy of these have a limited audience. We won't put them in more theaters or give them any kind of release pattern that'll make them available to audiences. 
So they're limited in how many people they can reach and the cycle continues. Now that we've got Crunchyroll and Toho and all these other outfits, actually putting them in, in thousands of theaters for once. That's really helping them drive up those numbers. And finally, that audience that's been there for a long time can show up and stay it's, it's sad to say, we've all said this more than once, these demographically specific event films have gone from a fun treat to an essential theatrical item. That One of the it, only yeah. long-term benefits the last few years because mm-hmm. there's been so little product out these have been afforded. Godzilla Minus One is the best example of that. I can't say this enough. Shin Godzilla, another fantastic Godzilla movie, made $1.9 million in its entire North American run. So the fact that there was nothing else out and Godzilla Minus One got a shot, and it makes, what, $56 million in North America. So it's it, one of the only great things that's going to be a lasting consequence of all of this is that these movies will in the future get a shot again because... Lo and behold, the one and only lesson that Hollywood will ever learn every single time is the money lesson. If there is a finished product that they can distribute for a guaranteed return at the box office, they're going to take that every single time. Two, three years from now, if we are in a more healthy theatrical marketplace, those will still be there. Speaking of Lionsgate earlier, they acquired Hill, which was a huge TIFF event last September, the Indian action film which basically sounds like bullet train, but good. They're going to give that a major theatrical release. I could not imagine even a studio of like, Lionsgate giving a wide release immediately to a film from India that's not in English before the pandemic. But yep. thank RRR for that, right? And, and no, like several other movies that made noticeably yeah. more than our North but, America. But Vaughn made more than Expend Four Bowls or whatever it's yeah. called. Like, it did. Fascinating. I saw it twice in a theater. The first time, I did not know what I was getting into. Me and my girlfriend, and just amazing. And then they showed it. Uh, I live in Austin, and they have the Paramount Theater downtown. It's a gorgeous theater, and they do this summer movie series every year. And they did it. Well, should we go again? And it was a sold out showing at the Paramount Theater. And oh. you talk about rapturous because people knew one of the all time best movie going experiences of my life. The theme of this pop, uh, podcast that is emerging so far is a little bit of optimism, right? And another optimistic take on this is that, yeah, okay, fine. Maybe the maybe theatrical stabilizes in a couple of years. You're still going to get these Demon Slayers. You bet your ass, whatever the next Toho Godzilla movie is, going to have a pretty good opening weekend. Breakout sequel, as crazy as that sounds. Probably. This might be more of a China situation than a Hollywood one, but there are big movies that play in China that I would argue would be perfectly mainstream theatrical releases in America. Like the Moon Man or the Detective Chinatown trilogy or The Mermaid. It'd all be gravy because as the, when films are huge in China, they're 90% of their money in China. But they're also just leaving money on the table. When some big movie in China opens to 300 million and legs out to six, somebody should watch it and say, yeah, we could probably put this on 500 screens. N- nobody putting High Mom in theaters three years after its record-breaking release is insane. Yeah. That should be a three or four million grocer in the U.S. from WellGo USA. But I wonder if it's a Chinese regulator thing of being, we don't need you. I don't we, know how that works. We but... did some, like the new Zheng Yibu movie last year. We generally do get them in somewhat limited release, same C Century City or the... Yeah, Wolf Warrior 2 got some release here. Yeah. I don't think it was much, but... It was playing at the local cinema in Plano, Texas. Uh, <laughs> it was over there. Oh, by, by the way, Ryan, I went to Austin for the first time in October. Paramount Theater is choice. I love living in Austin. The Paramount Theater, it, they do all the premieres of South by there and stuff. It's not a movie theater. It's a theater theater, and they will put a screen in there. and Cathedral. See, yeah, it's, and the 
seats are uncomfortable and there's nowhere to put your drink, but it is the best place in no. the world to see a movie. I saw Saltburn in a sold out theater there at the Austin Film Festival in October. Oh. We were at that same screening together. As well. Yeah. Yeah. Shit. That was uh, the place to see Saltburn because uh, the, the bathtub scene in that sold out theater was. Uh... Yeah. You remember it was like, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was crazy. Should we talk about the Madam Web drop real quick? Drop 60, what was it, 63%, 62%? 61. 61, which, I mean, it's terrible, let's be honest here. Could have been a lot worse. That's partially because it opened over a six-day holiday weekend, so the Friday, Sunday was only so much. Sure. It's getting a couple bucks worth of, well, you have to see it for yourself, hate watching, whatever you want to call it, but that's not going to move the needle from flop to end. no. That's no, just, no, no, no. that could be why it dropped 61% instead of 66. And just wait till what, three months from now when it's number one on Netflix for a week. Yes. It's, <laughs> it's and then you're going to see a bunch of people on Twitter saying, this movie isn't that bad. Why did nobody tell us to watch this? It's almost entirely based in the fact that it didn't have Thursday night grosses goosing that Friday. Like, if you had had a Thursday night gross, this would be a Quantumania level drop. I genuinely believe that. that. I agree. Like, I agree. Th this is basically really bad. And when Dune comes out next weekend, it's probably going to be another 60% plunge. Oh. Um, it's probably, it's won't crack 50 mil, which is insane for a big budget yeah. superhero film. It's going to make more than Morbius Man opening weekend, but it's close. You yeah. 35 now. It'll be at 41, 42 by next weekend. And yeah, you're right. It won't get to 50. It's a 61 worldwide. And Morbius was a disaster. Morbius and Morbius was a disaster. And I was my grave saying that Madam Web was better than Morbius. Frankly, Dark Phoenix was better than Apocalypse. It's going to end up below Fan Stick, Dark Phoenix, Ghost Rider 2, the nadirs of Marvel adaptations up to this point yeah. in quality yeah. and box office. It's like Elektra and the two Punisher movies are the only 21st century Marvel adaptations that have done worse. Well, well certainly adjusted it's, for it's, inflation, it's, you'd be correct. It, it, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be right at the bottom of the barrel. It's it'll make half of anyone but you domestically. That one crossed two hundred million worldwide this weekend. It's the biggest R-rated comedy, at least from Hollywood, since Bridget Jones's Baby in late twenty sixteen. Which, to be fair, made sixty out of two hundred six in Great Britain for obvious reasons. The one that passes that will be the biggest R-rated comedy that, not counting dead stuff like that. Since Ed Two in late 2015, insanity. Utter, also like 18. Also, for anyone that doesn't keep up with this stuff, Google how much money the first Ted made, and I guarantee you, it is so much more money than you think it is. I was so optimistic in 2012 because we were seeing mm -hmm. a comeback of the movie Magic Mike, Ed, Life of Pi. Yes, Life of Pi. Lincoln. 2012 might Lincoln. be my. 2012 might be my favorite year ever as a moviegoer, just as a sheer, like, every single week it felt like there was something, like, and even, it's small, it's not, like, a movie, like, Sinister, one of my all-time favorite horror movies comes out of nowhere. But, Ted, I want people to Google it. If you don't know it's a comedy, and you talk about some of these numbers we've thrown around these last four weeks, I want you to marvel at how few movies we've talked about that made as much money as Ted made. Ted, the teddy bear movie from Seth MacFarlane. And I like Ted a lot. I cannot love believe Ted. That's why it made, I made as much as it made because it was shockingly good. But to this day, I cannot believe that movie made that much money. Yeah. Uh, I was reminded that the internship made 18 mil on open weekend. And that was a bomb. It yeah. was a bomb. But it's, oh my God, every other already comedy last summer would have killed have like two-thirds of that yeah wasn't the internship needlessly expensive wasn't it really expensive it was, I, it was terrible it, it, was, it was the worst thing it was the 
give or take a good day to die hard my least favorite film of 2013 i was uh, having a good time that year yeah. <laughs> and you're right and the example i always throw out in terms of what comedies used to do is we're the millers a movie that yeah. probably not thought about for several years except for that one had reviews indifferent word of mouth and people saw it they liked it, whatever does 267 million dollars worldwide in August of, of 2003. Should we talk about Driveway Dolls? It made 2.4 mil. They delayed it from the strike. And then I'm not going to say they did no publicity because that's not fair. I did see some publicity being done. But the amount that they did certainly didn't scream. We should hold this until we can go full court press. The, if they were going to delay it, they should have just delayed it a little further to June. And just made it a Pride Month movie. I know Hollywood's run by straight people and they're not bright. But I still don't understand why Hollywood does not get that Pride Month should become a new themed month for movies. Drop one or two low-budget queer movies in that month that are cute escapist stuff. You'd make a buck. The budget was less than 20. This goes back to the VOD thing I wanted to bring up earlier. And that it was last year, New York Times put out a thing that they were talking about budgets and how art house movies aren't making any money. Apparently, Focus Features completely pivoted their business model around VOD. They now are like that... IFC model I talk about where a movie that makes no money in theaters that theatrical release serves as advertising for the VOD release. My understanding is that's how Focus Features operates now. That driveway doll is going to, this is bad. I'm still for Cohen. It's bad for movie. theaters regardless. It, it's ter- it's bad, but, but so that sucks. But because Focus is ultimately universal. So you're going to have the theatrical window. It makes... 10 million maybe worldwide now. It's not going to make anything. But let's say that to phrase the budget from 15 to then you, you now got to cover the 10 and then you yeah. get your premium VOD window. You get your slightly cheaper VOD window. You're going to have some Cohen fans that want it on Blu-ray. It goes to Peacock. It probably still breaks even. That it takes place in 1999 was ironic to me because this is one of those movies that feels like end of the 90s. You've got Anaconda. You've got In-N-Out. You've got Rush Hour. You've got Waiting to Exhale, The Birdcage. Hollywood seems to finally be getting the idea that you can make big movies aimed at not just white. Then 9-11 happens. Then there becomes a big influx of let's make these giant mega budget all quadrant global franchise fantasy tentpoles that are basically hot white guy becomes a special, impresses his father and gets the girl. And that becomes the go-to model for the stereotypical studio picture for a good 15 years at, I would argue, the expense of basically everything else. So you are seeing a lot of movies in the last few years that fell 20, 15, 20 years behind schedule, whether it's Truth yes. or Dare or Love, Simon or Bros or even Anyone But You, which, for what it's worth, has a lesbian wedding in it and driveaway balls. And people said, oh, this movie's dated. Yeah, that's because it's been 15 years ignoring these demographics. That stinks, but I'm not going to hold that against the movie. If they could have gotten this made in 2002, they would have. But that being said, I thought it was fun. It's a charming, amusing 86-minute comedy. It's a little slow, but it had some good actors in it. And It is fun. Once it picks up, that third act is a blast. Yeah, the uh, third act is very energetic. But it's not like a hail to some Coen brother classic, right? There's a yeah. couple factors that we're always going to plague this one. There's no movie stars in it. Compared to this Bernard reading where it's like, we got Clooney, Swinton, McDormand. Jenkins about to get his first Oscar. We got Malkovich. We got everybody in this. And then this one, yes. really great people that I love, Mark McQualey and Beanie Kilstein. But Pedro Pascal for two seconds in a scene in the trailer that was very clearly just one scene in the movie and yeah. Damon for two seconds is not enough to 
make people go, it's time to see it. There's not a lot of buzz. They didn't, I, they didn't drop it at the festivals where it could have generated some word of mouth. And Focus isn't as good as E24 at launching mainstream stuff. Like you said, Ryan, they're now on the PVOD train. That's why they watch all their movies except for the holdovers in 500 plus theaters. So they can just, that's dumb. This is exactly the kind of movie that everybody claims they want to see. It happens, what, literally 10 times every year. Yeah, as the theatrical market becomes more constricted where more money is being spent on a fewer number of films. I enjoy seeing those Twitter prompts. Name a great movie that bombed. Uh, almost all of them. I guess if we want to talk about movies that people claim they want to see doing well, Poor Things crossed 100 million this weekend. Yes. American Fiction crossed 20. Holdovers crossed 20. Crossed 20. A movie like American Fiction doing 20 domestic. Amazon MGM's doing something right. Or why are getting these theatricals? They are opening them decently and they are keeping them in the marketplace. The biggest grossing Hollywood movie of 2024 is Jason Statham's The Beekeeper with 150 million worldwide. Now, that's terrible for theaters, but that's good for Jason Statham. Back to the whole theatrical as a marketing tool for VOD. I'm very curious to the extent, will Land of Bad overperform on VOD on account of its, what's going to be an over-under $5 million theatrical? 100%. I'm waiting. Because it's not playing in a theater near me. They might give me the numbers. (laughs) But it's not playing near me. I want to see, that's my kind of garbage. I don't want art. I want Russell Crowe in a, piloting a drone. Dumb Money was another one that probably should have done better. I mean, garbage. I love now. Oh, yeah, that's what. I love movies oh, about how stuff it. happened. Love movies about how stuff happened. That's- it felt to me like the first big movie that really felt like a here and now in terms of the early days of COVID. Considering how many movies we get that are period pieces that are metaphors for the world as we know it now, good and bad. I'm always pleased when I see a modern day movie that actually takes place in the present day that actually is aware of the world as it exists rather than yeah. some fantasy version of the present tense where. Al Gore won in 2000 and there was no COVID, et cetera. Yeah. Joyride and Silent Night are a couple of others I'd pull yeah. out from last year. It happens every year. It's Somebody will ride. catch up with it at some point. People are going to be like, whoa, where was this movie? Where were you guys to tell me about this? You, you, you're not going to spend the money to go see it in a theater anyway. The That's Chosen, they're releasing all the episodes in theaters. That's another yeah. $8 million for episode four through six. So what are these Chosen at? $30 million for this it's season be, already? I, That's enough to make up for a disappointing tentpole or two. What a weird moment we're in where we thought three years ago TV was going to finally kill movies, was finally going to deal with a death blow. And now TV is the savior of the movie theater of put those demon slayers and chosen on the big screen. <laughs> I, I've, had, I've had a lot of conversations of people wondering whether or not Disney going to start doing this with some of these big shows or any of these. You're going to start seeing Netflix do that? Netflix probably not. Oh, but other, if someone's like, hey, you can go see Andor season two in a theater, you probably got my money. One of the bigger functions of the Beyonce and Taylor Swift concerts were, is that by going to theaters and becoming theatrical events, they reinforce the notion that theatrical release is the only way to make a monoculture event, even in 2024. The thing that still gets underestimated about the movie thing, if you're going to bother to leave your house to pay to go see a thing, good or bad, you're going to generate more conversation that way. Because, hey, I left the house to go do this thing. Let me tell you about it, good or bad. It's it does matter, and ultimately, even if it matters, if it matters to the extent that there's two words that pretty much just say theatrical movies generate more conversation than streaming. Rebel, Moon. 
a referral movement in theaters, we would have had so much discourse. Not good. We would have, well, but, but, I haven't seen it, but oh, it's, it's that kind of movie. Look, I'll defend Land of the Dead. I actually like that one. Rebel Moon is terrible. I oh loved, God. I love Army of the Dead. I'm with you, Scott. Yeah. But it would have generated conversation. Yeah. Like Sucker Punch. Oh, yeah. Oh, like yeah. Like the DC movies did. It would have. Netflix, it goes out on Christmas. The weekend where Bird Box became like the thing everyone's talking about. Crickets. Nobody remembers the amount. L- let me tell you, let me tell you what I know about Rebel Moon. Came out, what, two months ago? If you go to Walmart right now, they are they have more clearance merchandise that has Rebel Moon on it than you could possibly imagine. They Netflix thought this was going to be Oh yeah. And, and I'm telling you, you because they don't have they have some I product falling for that never works. I'm doing a podcast with a friend of mine about the summer of 2004 at 20, and we just recorded the Riddick episode. This never works. If that was in theaters, even as bad as it is, would have absolutely generated more conversation for Netflix and would done. And there's been a ton of conversation about that, of these movies that get released on Netflix and they disappear into the algorithm and nothing happens. to Fair play was supposed to be a big deal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That would have, that would, whether it would have made money or not, because this is in 2014 and it's not going to be the next Gone Girl. But if that film had played in a conventional theatrical release, it would have been part of the mainstream discourse. If, Vo- if Focus Features had dropped that in July, counter-programming yep. against a summer blockbuster, Fair Play becomes, for two weeks, the only movie on Twitter. That becomes the yeah. thing. Instead of forgot about it. Barely anyone watched it. We all know. People on Netflix just want to watch comfort television. And that's fine, but... Netflix is basically taking potentially buzzy theatricals off the table just to take them off the table. If I may quote the, the Rise of Skywalker, I don't care if the Ruffles win. I just want Guy Little to lose. I just want AMC <laughs> to lose, unfortunately. And I, hate I, you. I hate Regal. That's what the Knives Out thing was about. To this day. I don't, but Ryan Johnson wanted his bag. I get it. I'm not mad at him. Yeah, I would have like, taken I the money. But you got you to do it. I don't know how you walk away from that much money, but I'm a little mad. He, yeah, he, it's $450 million. I, it's, and then he can do literally whatever the hell he wants for the rest of his career. Like literally yeah. whatever he wants. After those movies are done, he probably doesn't have to do anything he doesn't want to do ever again. So it's like the Robert Pattinson career after that. Like Daniel Craig's been able to do that for a long time. He just likes speaking with a Kentucky fried accent. Chris <laughs> Evans. Uh, we should totally talk about the Les Miserables re-release. Did you guys see how much that made? <laughs> It made to over two grand on its per theater average because there's only 162 theaters. It was very beneficial to those 162 screens. Ryan, I was so thinking you were about to tell me that the per theater average came to 24601. Bizarrely. I rigged it. If I'm yeah. universal, why not? Yes, we put our money in there just for a joke. When they used to, when back in the Beers Brosden Bond days, when they released the final weekend averages, the last three weekend numbers. Gross. The last three digits would always be zero, zero, 007. What you have to look at is those 162 screens. They had relatively full theaters this weekend because of that movie. And that's a movie. So you buy popcorn. You buy popcorn. Or it's also the type of, it's definitely the type of movie where there's a theater out near me called the Violet Crown Cinema. It's the kind of place you grab a glass of red wine when you're watching that movie. Whatever theaters had this, those 162 screens, I'm betting you anything, they sold some red wine and popcorn for sure. It's 162 screens. It's not moving the needle but it's helping those 162 yeah. screens. And for it's like, nuts that four years later, we're still playing the previous decade hits coming out in 200 theaters, and thank God for that. Mm-hmm. It is insanity. And, it, and Dry, Demon Slayer, yeah, and, Dry, whatever that was called, are still being tasked with saving movie theaters in 2024. 
and somehow Oppenheimer is still on 200 screens, and somehow Universal is still trying to get that thing over a billion. And it's 960. They need 40 million dollars. Unless there's something I'm missing, there's no way in hell they find an extra 40 million dollars. I think they might get there if it wins Best Picture. I was just gonna say. I was just gonna say that if it wins Best Picture, it so gets every, a. That's the scene. It. <laughs> I don't know. Other movies have made two billion dollars. This one only made a billion. Some people haven't seen it. What a weird dick measuring. Well, instead of trying to get other movies out into movie theaters, Universal like oh, we could get often. We can get it. We can, we're almost there. They want it so bad. It's been so funny to me to watch this. They want it so bad. And it made it got $35,000 closer this weekend. We're halfway there. <laughs> what do you want? They are living on a prayer. Just, There's oh. a migration has now, I, if, I, if, if I'm 268, it might get to 300, which yeah. is just crazy. 275 should be easy at this point. And it's going to sail to 275. Than, and in terms of originally animated movies since Coco, it's obviously it's below Elemental, but it's bigger than Wish. It's bigger than Encanto. It's bigger than, obviously, it's bigger than Strange World and, and whatever. Yeah, but it's not a smash, but I'll they'll take it. Well, they tripled their budget. It's going to make a fortune. They'll get decent licensing for it because, you know, kids on Netflix watch Illumination and DreamWorks movies like crack. It's two weeks away from surpassing Nope domestically. And when it does that, it'll be the second biggest original movie in North America since the pandemic started. Only behind Elemental. Should we all take our crack at doing opening weekend numbers? I don't want to be held to task for anything. What's the fun of that? <laughs> this is the, the one only where like, caveat gotta... is whether or not online fandom translates to general audience interest. 75 is doable. I'm certainly not going to whine and scream if it only does 65. No, I'm not a big pro prognosticator, but I'm starting to feel pretty bullish on this thing. I'm going to go 82. What a random number. What the fuck? It's going to go a little over 80. 80 or 85? 82. No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, but I'm not saying 85 is actually, it's going to just bear. I'm going to say 82. That's fuck, what you I'm know, gonna... fuck it. 82 and a dollar. <laughs> uh, I am still, seven years later, I am still smarting from on a very miscalculated box office prediction that the house would, would make 160 billion domestic and it ended up making 29. So, well, feral picture? Yeah, I was convinced it was going to be the, <laughs> the comedy of the summer. Um, well, that's a good sign of how quickly comedies just went. Yeah, no, two years earlier, Get Hard was a huge hit. 15, 18 months earlier, Daddy's Home made 150, and things went south. But as, considering my past stuff, I'm going to be a little more conservative and say 67.4 million. 60. <laughs> okay, Scott getting annoyed at our very specificity here. As far as blown calls, I mean... I spent three years blowing Top Gun Maverick because it kept getting fucking delayed. And oh, I, no, you... I have a dozen essays explaining why. If it's not a Mission Impossible film, Tom Cruise has a ceiling of over under a 400 billion. <laughs> nope. Yeah, was the I same read way. a few of those. I, I thought Top Gun Maverick might be a hit. Like, who the fuck thought... Anyone who says it was gonna... I will show you a fucking liar. There's nobody. By the, the same end, thing I was maybe no World War Z numbers would have been 550. And then it did a little bit. Yeah. And... Might have actually birthed a rare movie star, Glenn Powell. No, he showed up for devotion. One of our most promising young movie stars, front and center, Glenn Powell and Jonathan Majors. <laughs> what a good oh. place to end it, Scott. <laughs> You're basically, what you say, 67? Is that what you said? 67.4. 60. <laughs> 75, because whole numbers. And you're what, 82 and 37 cents? 
Eighty-two and thirty-seven cents. For okay. Yeah, yeah. If it's eighty-seven thirty-five cents, I'm gonna scream. Uh, I don't think they show us the change on on those on the com on the com score reports, but we'll see. <laughs> they should. We made an extra dime. This is Scott Mendelson. Thank you very much for listening to this latest episode of the Outside Scoop, the box office podcast. We will be back next week to talk the opening weekend of Dune Part Two which according to our three Pradhanov scares will open somewhere between 67.4 million and 82 million and 37 cents. My name is Ryan Scott. You can find me at Ryan Scott writes on pretty much every social platform that exists, which feels like we got a new one every week now. Blue Sky, Tumblr, Twitter, Threads, all the good stuff. Find my writing on SlashFilm.com. You can find my most recent Tales from the Box Office column up there right now about the Passion of the Christ 20th anniversary. And you can find me over at SlashFilm and Bangoria. I'm Lisa Lehman, she, her. And you can find my writing all over the web on Collider and Looper. And this, fingers crossed, perhaps in the next week, you'll find my filing on our new website, Autostraddle, where I will be publishing a piece exploring the incredibly heterosexual lesbian wedding in anyone but you. Keep an eye out for that one, folks. And thank you very much for listening.